Hello and welcome to a special week podcast live from Sarah Week. I'm your host, Victoria Keogh, and I'm joined by our decarbonisation director of the Americas, Katie Zimmerman. Thanks, Vicky. Happy to be here. So glad that you could join us. Um, so, um, Sarah Week, massive energy conference taking place right here in Houston. Um, you were on a panel this week. Um, how was it taking part in your first Sarah Week panel? Sarah Week is kind of the high watermark for the oil and gas industry in particular, and they're expanding to cover mining and other sectors as well. But even early in my career, you would see big CEOs on the screen like Vicki Holub from Oxy, mm-hmm. and you would have you know Shell, Exxon, the who's who of oil and gas all descending on Houston for Sarah Week. And so it was a real honor to be included on a panel, especially talking about creating a viable hydrogen hub. Hydrogen hubs are so in vogue right now, and so that Wood got to be on the stage contributing to that conversation at Sarah Week is a really big deal. Yeah, it is. And I mean, everywhere I've gone during this week, there's a definitely you know, a session, whether it's Agora or Sarah Week, happening every hour on hydrogen. Why do you think it's come into such a strong focus? So what you have right now in the United States that's so fascinating is you have the Inflation Reduction Act, which I think everyone feels like they've probably heard a lot about. Um, Yeah, if you're paying attention (laughs) to any transition, decarb, everyone's talking about it. So the U.S. government is incentivizing these companies to produce clean hydrogen, not just any hydrogen. So we have the production tax credit. You'll hear things like 45V, 45Q thrown out. Um, 45V is on the production of hydrogen. 45Q is around carbon capture. So for certain types of hydrogen, um, like for Woods Blue Hydrogen Technology, you need carbon capture for it to be clean. Mm -hmm. So you'll have 45Q, which is around CO2 capture as well. Um, But then you also have Department of Energy funding. And that Department of Energy funding is meant to be like a grant. So that helps with your CapEx expenditures. And the U.S. government is looking for an equity position in a lot of these projects. So the U.S. has had a kind of a race of sorts for the design competition. There was something similar in the U.K. as well. But the one for the U.S., proposals are all due for tell the U.S. about your hydrogen hub in about a month. So it's April 7th, not that I'm counting, but that's why we're seeing so much activity is the U.S. is going to award six to 10 hydrogen hubs that are worth billions of dollars. And this is just the first stage of that, but everyone's positioning now for the pot of billions of dollars and to take advantage of the production tax credit. And that's so interesting. And so you just mentioned there, there's about six to 10. Mm-hmm. What actually makes a hydrogen hub viable? I mean, you were yes. on the panel talking about that. So, you know, in that context of what you just said and what you you know shared at the panel, can you kind of give us a summary of what that, what that looks like? Yeah, so for an engineer, an engineering firm, it's kind of the dream. It's you're looking for that master plan mm-hmm. by the US government of how do you make a successful hydrogen economy? So the U.S. government's doing what we would advise our clients to do. They're looking for how are you going to actually produce it and then who's going to be my user. And they want to match up the supply and the demand. But 
about half of the project is the technical aspects. Mm -hmm. The other half of these projects on what the U.S. wants for a hub is they want to see community impact. Okay. So they have a new um, bit of lingo around Justice 40, um, and I would simplify it for people that aren't familiar with it. With They want the community benefit and the plan for how you're going to make sure that the community benefits. So on these projects, you're gonna have people talk about how they're gonna produce the hydrogen, mm -hmm. whether it's by renewables, whether it's by nuclear, natural gas. Um, they want diversity in the portfolio. They're looking for an all of the above. So Congress has told the Department of Energy how to award these in certain parameters. There will be at least one hub that's going to be renewables-based. There will be one hub that is nuclear-based and there will be at least one hub that is natural gas. So when we say that there are probably six to 10, we know that of those six to 10, there will be a mix of production methods for that. And then what they want is also that link to offtake mm -hmm. that is also unique. So they don't want everyone generating power from hydrogen. They want steel to use hydrogen. They want fuel switching and refining. Um, they want transport. They want diversity. Yeah. Because what we've seen with a lot of projects is you need typically those anchor projects, mm -hmm. but the US government doesn't want everyone doing steel, everyone doing power. So they're gonna want diversity of production, diversity of use, but they wanna link that supply with demand. If somebody is making a ton of hydrogen but they don't have a user, that's not going to create a long-term viable yeah. project. So it's about selectivity as well. Yes, and, and there will be some projects that are probably perfectly wonderful that mm -hmm. don't get funding, and that's gonna be hard. Uh, but the US wants to see that economic case for why your project, and they also wanna see the community link for yeah. what is it gonna do for the community. Um, so like, one example at Wood, since we have 3,000 people in Houston, we can talk about Houston. Yes. Like Houston already is a hydrogen hub. I think we have 50% or so of the existing hydrogen network, hydrogen pipelines in the Houston area. We already have 48 steam methane reformers in the Houston area. The issue is that they're not lower carbon hydrogen production methods. So what Houston needs is you have tons and tons and tons of emissions. We're very industrial, but you need that emissions reduction. Mm -hmm. So how do you get that most effectively? How do you save jobs? How do you make sure that you transition the existing oil and gas workforce into clean energy? So that's the sort of story that these Houston hubs that are all competing for federal funding have yeah. to tell, is what's unique about your project technically? And then also, what is it going to achieve for the community? Yeah. If somebody builds a brand new hydrogen production unit to make obscene amounts of hydrogen, even if they capture the CO2, what emissions are they abating? So you have to tell a very compelling story to the US government on your dollars are going farther with my project and you are going to get the most benefit out of my project. And I guess there's jobs there too. For yes. Community. Yes. And that's really what they want to see is how do you bring the community along? Does the community want your project? Mm -hmm. um, and then they want to see smart use of natural resources for the area. So if you're an oil and gas town like Houston, we are the, I will admit, 
self-named, but we are <laughs> the... a little biased. Yes, I'm a little biased. <laughs> Thank you, sedative. Yes. That's okay, though. But we also have like named ourselves the energy capital of the world. Mm -hmm. You're going to see an energy-related play from Houston. You're going to see a loud and proud usage of natural gas. But we also have more renewables in Texas than a whole lot of other parts of the world. So you're probably going to see wind power being used to make some green hydrogen, as well as natural gas to make hydrogen. And you're probably going to see a lot of end users that are very industrial, like refining, mm -hmm. chemical plants. Like we already have a lot of hydrogen used in those types of facilities, but looking for more. And how do I substitute for cleaner hydrogen? And then the impact that that will have on jobs. So you're not trying to remove jobs or ruin jobs. The U.S. wants to transition, transition. those jobs. Yeah, right. Transition is key. Mm -hmm. And I think um, you know, obviously, I attended your session. I thought it was really great. Um, but I like the point around not creating hydrogen for hydrogen's sake. And I think that's you know also what you've just said there. Mm -hmm. um, and looking at Houston specifically. Um, mm -hmm and the opportunities there. What are we doing currently out of the Houston office that we can talk about? Because I know that yep. there are, it's a bit confidential, you know, what we engage, so it might be quite useful to know, like, how do we enable our clients that are looking to, um, you know, take the opportunity that this presents from the hydrogen hub perspective, but also where do we fit into that? And what is our, is our kind of exposure at the moment in terms of these projects? So you make an excellent point. Unfortunately, we're not allowed to talk about the details on a lot of the projects that we're doing and consulting, where we are at the pointy tip of the spear mm -hmm. for the projects that we expect to see long term. But one that I really am excited about was, to your point on not hydrogen for hydrogen's sake, but what does it achieve? We did a study for one of our large clients where we looked at what is the levelized cost of abatement for um, hydrogen, like clean hydrogen, versus carbon capture at three different types of facilities, at a power plant, at a chemical plant, and a refinery. And what we were trying to figure out is like, okay, if you have a chemical plant, should you be doing carbon capture or hydrogen? If you have a refinery, what makes more sense? Should you be doing an absolutely massive ATR project and do hydrogen fuel switching everywhere? Should you be doing carbon capture? Same for power. And what we found was, I kind of joke with a lot of our clients, a lot of the time, it's like, spoiler alert, it's both. <laughs> but you have some applications and process engineers always really like this stuff, but like if you go into a refinery, mm -hmm. you're gonna have some bits of equipment where you can't do hydrogen fuel switching and get the emissions reduction because the CO2 is coming from the process. So some applications, carbon capture is the right tool. But in other applications, if you're already making lots of hydrogen and you can make it cleaner, it just makes more sense to do fuel switching. But helping our clients figure that out on what makes the most sense. Yeah, and how do that- Master planners. Yes, I like that term. exactly. And then sometimes on a facility, like we do lots of brownfield modifications, you don't always have space for all the equipment that you need mm -hmm. for everything that you wanna do. So what's the trade-off? And doing that and looking at like, Houston, where we have world-class industry, but we also have world-class emissions 
that go along with it. So if I want to really move the needle, how do I do that without spending all of my money? And it's very much often like that 80-20 rule mm -hmm. where you can do quick, easy fixes now and get an emissions reduction, but those really deep cuts, how much money is it gonna take and where should I be expending my capital so that I get the most bang for my buck? And I guess, you know, so, we should mention that you've just assumed the role as the decarbonization director for the Americas, which is exciting. Yes. Um, you know, tell me a bit more about that, you know, where your focus is gonna lie, because it seems that it's just like the, the opportunities are, are sort of ripe at the moment. They are, and I mean, we've been talking about the US for this conversation, but Canada is in the same boat. You see a lot of activity in South America as well. Um, I know like with the Columbia office in particular, We've seen a lot of activity. They have a lot of projects. Chile, I've heard Chile a lot this yeah. week too. Um, so it's definitely a really exciting time. And I would also say we can look at the blueprint of what the US is doing, what the UK has been doing. Mm -hmm. um, and you can see like Canada is not going to take that line down and they're very vocal about that. So I think we're gonna continue to see a big push for decarbonization projects um, globally, and the answer is not going to be the same everywhere yeah. and for every asset. And so making sure that we keep all of our teams connected and we're all talking more about what we're already doing in this Absolutely. space. Um, yeah. And then I think one thing that I didn't really appreciate a few years ago was um, as an American, normally governments stay out of the business of industry. And now seeing that there's really that like carrot and stick approach mm -hmm. that different countries are taking, um, the carrots are really all coming out. Mm -hmm. And I think what we're all trying to get an eye on is when are the sticks coming and understanding the implications of these various policies mm -hmm. and what they're going to do for our clients. Yes. And some of the studies, like I just mentioned with you, like the levelized cost of abatement we're going to want to take those learnings that we've seen and apply them like on assets everywhere. So when you have a client that comes and is trying to figure out how do I decarbonize, we need to reach back into the org and identify like who knows this because somebody does. Yeah. And we keep seeing more and more. We've touched about every kind of project. We have like hydrogen we've been doing since the 60s. We know a lot. Yeah, right? I know. And then we have carbon capture studies. We've done over 175. We are the benchmark often for studying carbon capture technologies. We have world-class e-methanol projects underway right now. If there's something that people have questions about, mm -hmm. we've probably done it internally. And it's just finding those resources and making sure that we access them and that we bring them to our projects as value adds. That's the other thing. A lot of these decarbonization projects, I make a better premium than on a normal project because our clients don't view it as a commoditized service that just anyone can do. They view you as a partner and they view you as somebody that is bringing a value add to their project. So if we can take that same approach and apply it in all of our projects, we'll see more repeat work and then we'll all feel better about what we've done because we've really added value and we've differentiated ourselves with our clients. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. This isn't this is maybe your first year presenting, but you attended, I think, last year for the first time. Mm -hmm. Have you seen an upswing in terms of the um, diversity of attendees? 
Yes. Um, I would say across, like, you see more gender diversity, and I think maybe it's just the timing of mm -hmm. International Women's Day happening over the event. Um, but you're also seeing broader geographic reach as well, and I'm seeing a diversity of types of companies that are represented as well. Mm -hmm. We're seeing developers all the way through, you know. Startups. Yeah, startups. Big push on startups this year, mm -hmm. um, as well as like some of our traditional clients. But you're starting to hear not really like people that are getting up on stage and shocking us with what they're going to say, but you are seeing There's, some yeah. diversity of thought in the room, which is exciting. That is, and I, I think your point there, you know, there isn't anything that is sort of earth shattering, mm -hmm. um, but the momentum is there, and I think there's yes. the energy's there, and I think the action now needs yes. to be there. So, you know, someone in your position, what are the top things now following this confidence that you want to see happen in the hydrogen space? I want us to continue to push our clients a bit. Um, so for example, we traditionally wait for our clients to come to us with a very specific scope of work and we respond to that scope of work and we move, about, move on with our lives. Mm -hmm. But what we saw when hydrogen started picking up in the US was our clients don't actually know what the right answer is. And because we benefit as would having seen multiple clients, having seen multiple industries and sectors have to approach this problem, we get to look at it from a different angle. So we talk about like diversity. Mm -hmm. Wood brings a lot of diversity to these problems because we're not just looking at it as an oil and gas company with a specific set of assets. We're looking at it as a solutions provider globally. So one thing that we also picked up on was like our clients don't know how to fund their projects all the time. They don't necessarily know how to get that premium product out. So they know the traditional building blocks of what they have, but they don't necessarily know how to make the most money with their assets. And that's what they're trying to figure out. So helping them with whether it's Department of Energy funding, looking at what creative tax incentives might they be able to take advantage of, what premium products could they make. So for example, if you have a carbon capture project, what else could you do with the CO2 besides just inject it to the ground? Mm -hmm. um, so that's the sort of stuff that we're starting to see from clients that's really exciting to me is that how do we take advantage of the breadth and depth that we have as wood yeah. and really design the future and take advantage of our inspired culture? If you're an individual and you see something on a project that you think, I could do that better, do it. We want to hear it and we really want to see that so that we can grow and help our clients along the journey. I love that. Katie, thank you so much for your time. Thank you, Becky. Pleasure as always. And thank you for joining us.